This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, A Personal Journey into the Quantum World, God's Silent World. And the author is Jean-Paul Cadavo. Jean-Paul joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Jean-Paul. Hi. I'm going to read your introduction that you would give to a friend that just gives an overview and a sentence or two of your book. Uh, Mm -hmm. You say, here's a book that brings you to discover that time, physical matter, and gravitation as we experience them are all illusions. That universe creation, existence as well as life creation and evolution are all involved thoughts and intelligence from the Creator. Obviously, these are very uh, in-depth, probing kinds of (laughs) statements and causes all of us to go, wow, that you could uh, get your mind and and your words around these kinds of things that deal with the quantum world. So give us a little bit of your background and tell us why you wrote the book. Well, my background, uh, I have a a master's degree in in mathematics. I have a bachelor's degree in computer science. Uh, I'm, a, I'm actually a professor in information technology. I'm not a professor in physics or uh, philosophy or theology. Um, and reason, uh, or what brought me to write the book is quite unexpected. I never planned it. Um, it occurred uh, about two years ago when my sister-in-law sent me an email and uh, it was a spiritual kind of email, and it had to do with God. And I decided to reply to her, and I just gave her my immediate impression of relationship between God and the universe. And she liked my reply, and I said to her, "Oh, okay, you liked it, so I'll I'll just think some more about this." And a week later, I had five pages written, and I said to her, "Well, I have five pages," and she said, "Well, you just keep writing and." see where where that goes, and it ended up being a 600-page book. <laughs> and uh, it, it's, it's um, I don't know what came over me. It was an intense, relentless desire to ponder and to ask questions to myself, and it just wouldn't end at all. Uh, so I just, it's a, a force that came from I don't know where. I just had to do it. <laughs> Well, you say that this book should appeal to anyone with an inquiring mind who, and who likes to think, and also that you've tried very well to uh, not use complicated scientific uh, technical terms, and you wanted to keep it uh, easy to read. That's correct, yeah. I, uh, although the book does deal with some very difficult subjects, and I do use uh, in places algebra, I really try the best to make it as easy as possible to read. Uh, some of the topics are very abstract, um, 
And I, I think I, I was, I was looking at my book just before the interview, and I think I was really, really successful at making it easy to read, um, most of it. And in the parts where I have some algebra, the reader can easily skip those and still get the gist of the idea. Anyway, uh, most of the difficult work that deals with algebra or in appendices that I put at the end of the book, and nobody needs to read that anyway. It's just there for whoever wants to know how I, how I concluded whatever I, I found. Uh, it's just to show that uh, what I came up with came from somewhere. I just, just dreams of something. I just came up with an idea, and I developed it logically, and I came to conclusions. Well, let's talk about some of those conclusions. Now, you write matter as we experience it. And when I think of matter, uh, in my mind, is something that's tangible that I can get a hold of, you know, mm -hmm. in, in touch and carry. Uh, and maybe I'm uh, too simplified here, but matter as we experience it mm -hmm. is an illusion. Matter moves <laughs> as waves. Now, take us to another part of the universe of our mind and help us understand what you're saying there. <laughs> Matter is an illusion in the sense, that, like you said, it's not really tangible. When I, I touch a, a, a basketball, I'm, I, I feel I'm touching something because my, my nerves in my cells are telling me that I'm touching something. My brain interprets that, interprets that as something that I'm touching. But actually, if you go at the quantum level, which is a big part of my book, where there's actually no touch at all. I'm not kidding. There's actually no touch at all. We're not touching anything. At the quantum level, all there is is just energy, ele electromagnetic energy. And uh, what ma makes it uh, possible for me to touch something is the interaction at that level between my hand and the basketball. Uh, so that's why I say uh, that matter is an illusion. Uh, and also, uh, there's a philosophical angle to this, is that matter is a state of organization, uh, meaning that matter is actually something that's complex. It's not, it's, it's not just plain, pure energy like light. Light, it's obvious. You see light from the sun or from, from a light, and, and that's, the light is the only thing in, in the universe that is absolutely real, for real. You see light, you, that's what you see. Uh, but matter is a state of organization. So it requires actually a certain amount of interpretation. We don't realize that. We never do, because when we're born, we're born and we touch things and we never think about these things. And that's why I said that matter is an illusion. I'm not saying that there is, I'm not saying that my desk is not there. It is there. But what is really there, it's not really what I'm seeing. That's what I mean by all that. And you also say that gravitation, as we experience it, might be an illusion. Obviously, we all know that real law of physics. I mean, you know, <laughs> you jump off a high enough uh, you know, roof, you know the gravity works. You know, okay. There's no doubt. Yeah. yeah, okay. What I mean by illusion, I don't mean that, uh, that if I jump off a cliff, I, I will start uh, floating somehow. I don't mean that. Uh, what I mean is that uh, gravitation is not exactly what we think it is. Um, and again, it's like the idea of, of matter that I was uh, explaining. Gravitation is actually something uh, that it's not quite, uh, it doesn't quite work the way that uh, Albert Einstein's space-time theory was saying, 
the, there's a curve of space and gravitation uh, um, uh, happens that way. Uh, what he has described is the effect of gravitation, but he has not described what gravitation is, and uh, that's what I discuss in the book. And what I found is that gravitation is an effect that takes place at the quantum level, and once again, there we go, quantum level again. Everything is about, is, is about quantum physics. And then at the quantum level, gravitation doesn't quite occur the way that we think it does. And the quantum level, again, we're talking about energy? Energy, that's right. It's energy. At the quantum level, the only thing that exists at the quantum level is energy. Uh, there's also quantum particles, but these particles, uh, maybe this, this subject will come up later, but quantum, uh, at a quantum level, even matter uh, transforms itself into energy billions of times per second. And, and so because it's billions of times per second, we cannot possibly feel it. Even the most sophisticated, precise electronics in the world cannot uh, detect those things. It's completely beyond uh, the exp any kind of experiments. Um, Will you and, add? Uh, yes? Go ahead. Go ahead and finish. I'm sorry. Yeah. And uh, so how, how can, the person might ask, well, how can I come up with this? If in an experiment we can't even come up with it, if we cannot observe something, therefore it does not exist, right? And I don't believe in that. I believe that our mind uh, is really where the strength is. It's not so much observation, it's the mind is to think about something. And in my book, I bring the reader to think along with me. I take the reader along on a journey of, of um, thought processes to go through a journey in the quantum world and to make it as easy as possible to understand it. Um, and it's, I, I, I hope I, I did a good job and it would be readable to most people, but it, it will take somebody who likes to think and to ponder about things. It's not a bedtime story. <laughs> <laughs> you make this statement, there is a creator of the universe, and then you ask this question, is it God? I, yeah, in my book, uh, in chapter 6, I think it is, no, 7, actually, I think it's 7, uh, I say that there's a creator, but I don't just say it. I actually prove it, but I don't give a mathematical proof. There is no mathematical proof to that. Uh, my proof is philosophical, and I won't go into that right now because it will take forever to... <laughs> It would take too long to talk about that, but I proved that there is a creator to the universe. Now, right now, the uh, the prevailing uh, opinion among scientists is that uh, the universe created itself. I have a book at home actually that I read, and that's what they say. And, and in my book, I say no, there's no way there is a creator, and I prove that there is one. Um, and I, I forget the other thing that you said. Oh yeah, is it God? Is is the creator God? That's the big question. Uh, the only thing I could do in my book is to prove that there is a creator. But is that creator God? And that, I have no answer. Tell the truth, I don't know. It cannot be proven that it is God. It cannot be proven that it is not God. And and God, um, it's something that is, unfortunately, I believe, will always remain in the realm of faith. Because we we cannot prove that God exists. We cannot prove that God does not exist. Um, so whoever attempts to prove one way or the other is obviously making a mistake somewhere in their logic because it's something that is completely beyond any kind of system. 
And that's what I described in Chapter 7 uh, in great detail. And you say life was an act of creation, and life is a miracle. Yeah, it's uh, well. By definition, first of all, by definition, of miracles is is that anything that cannot be explained by physics or science or anything that's physical. Well, that's what life is. Life is not physical. Uh, we tend to think that life is physical because uh, my my blood right now is my heart is pumping and it's pumping harder than it usually does because I'm a little bit nervous right now, and and so I'm. I'm alive, my heart is pumping, I'm alive, I'm thinking, I'm alive, and so on. But life actually itself is not uh, anything that's microbiological. Microbiology is not the study of life. Microbiology is the study of the manifestation of life in this physical world. But life itself is inside another world that I call the hidden world, the world that we cannot see. I also call it the world of consciousness. And, um, and and that's why I say that life is actually a miracle, because uh, how did it come up in this universe? How did it go from the universe of consciousness to this physical universe? And that is a miracle. Uh, and it, therefore, it had to be created. It cannot have evolved. Life is, uh, the evolution of life, I believe in that, but the actual creation of life, the initial life on Earth or anywhere, is an act of creation. And you believe in an afterlife? Uh, yes, I believe in, in an afterlife. Uh, I was not so sure for quite a long, time, quite a long time, but I believe in an afterlife. Uh, after thinking a lot about that, and the reason is, is it goes to what I just said: uh, life is not something that's physical. Well, therefore, life lives in the in the other universe that we cannot see or or feel. And so that means that uh, my life is there. My life is not here right now on the desk where I'm sitting. It's, it's not even in my brain. My life is somewhere else. I feel it's here because my heart is pumping and so on. But life is not uh, macrobiology. My life is not biology. Life is beyond these things. So when I die, my life will still be around. Now, I have to be a little bit clear about this. <laughs> my life will be around, but the question is what will remain of me. Well, certainly anything that's physical will not remain. That's very clear. Because I believe that God is not terribly interested in the physical universe. God is interested in consciousness, in life, and in intelligence. And, uh, and those things are in the beyond. So what will remain of me in the afterlife in heaven I'm not too sure. I talk about it a little bit in the book, but I, this is so speculative. Um, and it's again, it's, it's based on beliefs. People don't want to believe that there is life after, after death. That's fine. I have no issue with this. They can still, people who don't believe in me, they can still read the book and, and see what I think. And um, it, I have no issue one way or the other, really, uh, regarding God or life after death. Uh, these are just my own thoughts that I hope some people will believe in. <laughs> And your journey, this personal journey that you're taking us on, you say, let's assume that we know nothing and then learn mm -hmm. one step at a time. So that's why how this book helps us to go from nothing yeah. to absolute uh, 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 some kind of conclusions using simple logic, as you say. Exactly. Well, I, I use simple logic. The reason is because I'm not a terribly intelligent person. So I could not come up with 
complicated stuff. I don't think that what I came up with in the book is complicated. Uh, uh, people who have no training in mathematics will not agree, will say, well, your mathematics is rather complicated and uh, they won't want to read that. But like I said, most of the mathematics are, have place in the appendices. They don't even have to read it. Uh, yeah, start from nothing because in order to be able to open my mind, I have to, in, in a sense, I have to clear it. <laughs> I have to remove everything that is uh, that are assumptions. And in life, we make a lot of assumptions about all kind of stuff. And like we mentioned earlier about matter, we made assumptions about matter. We made assumptions about gravitation. We made assumptions about all kind of things. But what is really going on? And for that, for me to answer this, to have some kind of answer, I had to turn back and uh, and reflect back and, and essentially try to empty my mind, which did not take very long <laughs> because that, there was not too much there to start with. <laughs> and uh, and I started from nothing. I really did start from nothing. For example, uh, I'll give you an, an example of uh, one thing I'm very uh, proud of. The, the famous equation E equal MC squared that Einstein came up with that everybody in the world probably knows I derived that equation from, believe me, from absolutely nothing. And I derived in, in just a few lines, just a few lines. And I used my understanding of, of the quantum particles. What is a quantum particle? And you, you wouldn't believe it's in chapter one. I start with that. The reader won't believe how simple it is. And that's what the, the main thrust in my book is to show that everybody can come up with the ideas I came up with. I believe that uh, uh, how do I say that? Uh, uh, I believe that every human has an inner ability to discover lots of stuff. Uh, think back of a child, for example, a five-year-old child has a, a great ability to discover, and and this is what all humans have. But a lot of us tend to lose it or ignore it and get along with their life. Uh, but in my case, uh, I don't know. Maybe you should call that midlife crisis. But I had to, <laughs> I had to ask myself big questions, and 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 like I said, it's an inner force. And the knowledge that I discovered, I, I believe, by the way, that I did not really, uh, I did not invent anything here in the book. I discovered things that knowledge that is already there present in what I call the hidden universe, the, the universe of consciousness, all the knowledge is already there. We just have to discover it. And and that's what I did in the book. And I, I really do prove that this is working because I start from nothing and, and I come up with all kind of stuff. Uh, and I'm not an expert in the field. I'm not, I don't have a PhD in physics. I don't have a PhD in microbiology. Uh, but I still came up with all that stuff, and uh, and it's just just a whole bunch of things that I dreamt up. Uh, it's really careful thinking based on logic and so on. And I had, by the way, reviewers. We have we have established knowledge in uh, in physics. We have reviewed my book, and they agreed with most of it. Some of it they did not agree with because I come up with some of my own twist, um, not twisted ideas. Don't get confused there. Just my own little twist or spin water on a few ideas. I don't know if you want to discuss that, but uh, yeah, there's a few ideas. Uh, because the physicists, there are a few things that they are not sure about yet, uh, about quantum physics or gravitation and so on. So I just thought, well, I'll just put in there, why not, my own little ideas. Um, 
and uh, if that in impress the reader, good. If the reader thinks that it's all nonsense, well, that's fine too. But I, I think there is something there for sure. Jean-Paul, how do we get your book? How do we uh, order your book? Uh, I have a website. Um, it's www.quantum-journey.net. And um, people can purchase it there either through iUniverse or through uh, Barnes & Noble website. And there might be other websites that I don't know of that, that would have it. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking of possibly uh, adding to my website a link or a button that people could uh, order an autographed copy uh, from myself. Uh, but I have not done that yet. I'm not sure if I will. Uh, I'll see how it goes for now if, uh, if I get any sales. But by the way, the, the book, I wrote the book really uh, because I had to, to, I had questions that I had to answer. Um, and uh, it's really for myself that I wrote it. And I, I, I hope people, some people would be interested in it, but it's really for myself. I had to answer questions. Uh, one other point, too, uh, I talk about creationism versus evolutionism. Uh, as you know, evolution and creation, they, they clash against each other right all the time. All creationists, they say uh, God created everything from nothing and so on. And evolutionists will say, no, that's nonsense. It's evolution. It proves everything. In my book, I, talk, I have a chapter entirely on that. And my conclusion is that actually both theories have good points. Uh, I have to say that the theory of evolution has more good points than the creationists because some creationists, the, uh, their point of view is a little bit too, uh, too, uh, too strict. But really, evolution explains a lot about how life evolved, but evolution does not explain life itself. And this is where creationists are correct. Life was created, absolutely. Universe was created, absolutely. Evolution, that's a slightly different matter. In my book, I discuss evolution, but uh, I say that evolution um, is largely based on random events, random mutations of the DNA, and, and that this is true. However, uh, uh, there is a possibility, I leave open the door, that uh, the world of consciousness I'm talking about may have played a role in this. We want to thank you again for being on iUniverse Radio. Okay, well, that was, that was a pleasure. And, uh, very interesting, very uh, thought-provoking, to say the least. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, thanks very much. That was Jean-Paul Cardevo. He is the author of his book, A Personal Journey into the Quantum World, God's Silent World. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. East Texas Meals on Wheels needs your help. For the first time in 35 years, Meals on Wheels has a waiting list for meals. Currently, we serve more than 3,500 meals per day. With the help of donors and volunteers, we can eliminate the waiting list and serve more meals and ensure all who need a hot, nutritious meal are served. You can call our offices toll-free at 1-800-451-2912 to find out more about how you can help. 
You can also visit our website at www.mealsonwheelseasttexas.org. Again, toll free at 1-800-451-2912 or visit us on the web at www.mealsonwheelseasttexas.org. After all, when a person needs a meal, they need it today, not tomorrow. Thank you for helping Meals on Wheels. Saturdays on toginap.com. It's Author Talk. Get the story behind the story on fiction and literature, graphic novels, horror, mystery and crime novels, romance, science fiction and fantasy, westerns, history, humor, inspiration, and every genre. It's all on Author Talk. You'll get to hear new authors talk about their books. Take the opportunity to hear insights on what inspired them to write it. It's called Author Talk on Toginet.com. And it's presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their book around the world. Author House has assisted more than 30,000 authors, producing over 40,000 titles. Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen, every Saturday on Toginet.com. Radio for the cutting edge. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Project Management Skills for Instructional Designers. And the author is Dorcas M.T. Cox. And Dorcas joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Dorcas. Hello. How are you? Good to have you here. Now, this is very comprehensive. At the same time, you have uh, managed to simplify these different techniques and these different skills that we need to use. I want to... Uh, read your introduction that if you were to tell a friend in a sentence or two what your book is about, this this sums it up in a very general way, and then we'll get into the details. You say, learn the tools and techniques used by the pros in human resources development to improve performance, increase profits, and grow the business. Well, any business person would say, that's what I need to do. i got to learn right. to do that, right? That's correct. Yeah, there's, there's, um, in the business world, there's do or die. Mm. So you are going to help us survive and thrive, if you will, and tell us why you wrote this. This is a, this is a very comprehensive book. This, this took you some, uh, probably, though, from your experiences and, and everything you've done, it was just putting it down on paper. You already know this. That's right. That's right. I've I've had the benefit of teaching adult learners in a college setting for 14 years, and I also work in a professional capacity as a training manager. And I've I've used many books trying to help people to do some very basic things that. Look at performance gaps. Normally when, when something's not working out in terms of profits or people aren't performing in the way that the organization wants them to, the first thing you, you tend to do is say, oh, you know, maybe we need to train them what's wrong. Why aren't they performing in the ways that we would need them to? Is it motivation? What is it? And this book really essentially helps us to be able to accurately look at the root cause determine the root cause of the performance gap, why is the individual performance the way it is, and 
And obviously, if the individual's performance is not the way it, it the organization wants it to be, two to one, that's turning up in the bottom line in terms of losses or waste or inefficiencies. And so once we identify if the gap is about a lack of knowledge or skill, then we can use training as a measure to close that gap. And so the rest of the book helps us to understand how we can start a project of designing, developing, and delivering the training to close the performance gap. So there are really two, two disciplines at work. First is how do you analyze the gap and determine if we do need a, a training solution. And if we do need a training solution, how do we properly go about designing, developing, and delivering that project because it will have a beginning, it will have an end. And so you do need project management skills so that you can efficiently create whatever that solution is to close that gap and get the business back on track. From my experience in the business world, it it's often... If you're a manager or an owner, you know your product, you know your service, you're very good at that, but then to help others to catch that same vision that you have and also to take responsibility that you feel, obviously as the owner or the manager, you feel tremendous responsibility. And, and that's, you know, obviously that, that uh, as you put it, we have to gain the wisdom and the confidence. Right. To get the best performance from employees. So it, the, you have to be able to uh, teach that That's to the correct. employees. It's, it's a critical, critical area of business. That is correct. And particularly now because there, there are many things happening in, in the economy. There, there's downsizing. So there are a lot of people who are now enrolled in organizations that they weren't properly prepared for. And, and maybe they don't feel very confident in being able to execute. So this book helps those who are in human resources, who are in maybe as a performance consultant, and even the entrepreneur who, again, has to do everything. You know, the entrepreneur does a little of everything in his business and, and needs to understand why is my business not doing what I wanted to do in terms of profits or in terms of reducing waste or losses, customer dissatisfaction. Why is this happening? How can I get my numbers to where I need them to be? How can I get my people to where they need to be so that they can be able to produce the, the results that we know the business can produce? And so I think this book is for everybody. It, it has a... It, it, it has a the beautiful ability of being used as a textbook, and and it can and you can get get really deep into it if you're going at it from a college or university level, but then at the same time you can have it as a guide, as a source book to refer to, even if you're not wanting to to be a pro, but you want to do it like the pros. You want to know what the pros do. The book is also for you. And you start right out at the very uh, beginning with Chapter 1. You talk about the crisis, and Chapter 1 introduces the reader to a typical scenario dealing with crisis, and you put it in an everyday of, of situation that we could all relate to. That's correct. And that's very, very important that you start to uh, 
You know, you have to have a, a realistic and honest view of what is happening and be able to analyze that. Yeah. So the, the book is full of tips. It, the instructions are clear. You'd notice the chapters are very short. People don't like very lengthy chapters, and there are a lot of white spaces for you to take notes in the book. The, the book has some question prompt questions at the end, it, it also is based on a typical scenario, like you said, and that, that theme runs through the entire book. So it's almost a storytelling kind of uh, approach to delivering material that can be kind of heavy. But I think it's, it's, it's presented in a way, both disciplines are presented in a way that's user-friendly, and even the project management side that can be technical, there are lots of templates in there already built in for you, so... If, if the book is referencing a particular name of a template, you don't have to wonder, well, what does that look like and how do I use it? It's right there for you. And so I think that makes it easy for the just-in-time learner who wants to know it right away, but they don't want to have to take you know, a very formal approach to getting that information that they need to resolve their issues immediately. Often we might think that these are inside secrets and how do yeah. we gain them, you know, because the pros in the human resources development, I mean, they know these, you know it. Right. But, but again, it is something that we can learn. Absolutely, absolutely. And they're no, uh, then they're no longer secret. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, the beauty of it is that will help us all. I mean, that's going to help the economy turn around. That's going to help the, the college grad who wants to get out there and, and make a difference, but they don't have all those years of experience that maybe somebody else has, and, and they can lean on that when the going gets tough. So this, this allows everyone to, to take something that they have as a passion and translate that passion into a business success for themselves with just being able to get some, some guidance and direction along the way and and at the end of the day, feel really good about themselves in the, in, the, in the process. So you've taken your 14 years of experience and your knowledge and skills and you've personal notes and a lot of research. And you're, yeah. what you've done, if I may, was to present the material in a way that is not only interesting, but it's different from right. the way that information is presented by other authors. That's what you found. You, you really had a hard time finding something that would suit the the uh, big challenge absolutely and um, I found also that we use in, in a classroom setting several different books take a chunk out of this and take a chunk out of that and I think one of the things that I've, I've used as a benefit in putting the book together is the, um, the skill of being able to explain something to someone in very basic language not to simplify it to insult them that the everyday man off the street can understand something that they once thought was just pretty heavy or pretty difficult. And I found adults, very intelligent people, they have background expertise in so many areas, but a particular area might be new to them. And once they understand and they can make those relationships and they can link to, oh, yes, yes, I know how to do that, or, oh, yeah, yeah, I've done that before. I didn't know that's what you used to call it, though. And so I think that has helped me to put the book together in a, in a simple enough way that, that you, can, you can get it 
even if you haven't spent years and years in this in this field, you you can still get it. Now, this book is written with a corresponding workbook by the same name. Now, tell us That's about correct. the workbook and also this uh, companion. There's a uh, companion. Do it like the. Human Resources Pros Audio, Video, and Classroom Series. My goodness, this comes with everything. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, I found, too, that although we might say a person can pick up a book and just get started, sometimes you do get stuck along the way. And so I've, I've put together on my site some audio tips that take themes out of the book, and you can download it, MP3 player, put it in your, in your car as you go to work. These tips are no more than 15 minutes, and, and they're, they're based on topics that are important to us all, you know, topics like discovering the hidden potential in your business or, you know, how to get the, the best out of your employees, these kinds of topics. And so that allows us to get you introduced to the book in a gentle way because sometimes people might say, I don't know if I want to buy it. Why would I want to get that? But, you know, I'm sure you want to get the best performance out of your employees. I'm sure you want to know what's going to happen if training isn't the right prescription. These are some of the topics for the audios and um, removing the barriers that make employees more productive. And so with the video, what we've done is we've put the video series together so that you can download those as well, and use the workbook, the video, and the textbook all in conjunction. So the person has a little bit more time, and they can self-study on their own. They don't want to spend thousands in a, in a formal setting or a seminar. They can go through it at their own pace using those combination of learning styles or audio, visual, you know, reading, tactile, writing, jotting notes. And so that, that helps you to be able to simulate it and digest it at your own pace. So we've put something together that, that is not intended just to sell a product. It's really intended to help and to provide a resource base for a person to always be able to go to to improve themselves. Because the bottom line, as you put it, is to avoid mistakes, save time and money, be be productive, and make more money. I mean, that's that's why we're in business. We need to make more money. Uh, We need to, uh, you know, uh, uh, just uh, do it better and do it cheaper and make more money for everybody's sake. Absolutely. I mean, if, 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 if we're able to accomplish that, and, and and do it right knowing that our people are our number one resources and, and be true to the people as well at the same time, ethically and, and professionally, I think we're on to something. So you say the target audience for your book is entrepreneurs, employees needing an additional income source, do-it-yourselfers, uh, those who have always dreamed of starting a business of their own, persons displaced by economic conditions and are starting a small business out of necessity and Recent college, university graduates unable to to find a job, and then of course you, you know you have the assistant managers, middle managers, senior managers, directors, consultants, and owners. So it covers just about everybody, and you've Absolutely. been able to uh, put it in a uh, terminology that everybody can understand. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I really, really hope that people would go out there and, and purchase the book, and and then let me know how 
how useful it's been and you know, we can blog and see how, how best I can even assist you further because, like I said, the, the key is, and I have a passion for this adult education and, and, and seeing the joy when people learn and apply the learning and can see the benefit for it for themselves. And so I think that's the, one of the reasons why I wrote it and that's one of the reasons why I want people to, to, to try it and, and also, like I said, to let me know how else I can help. Tell us about your website. How do we okay. reach your your website? Okay, the website is projectmanagementsolutionslimited.com. So P-R-O-J-E-C-T-M-A-N-A-G-E-M-E-N-T-L-T-D-O-M-A-N-A-G-E solutions, S-O-L-U-T-I-O-N-S-L-T-D.com. Very good, and I'm sure we can obviously get your book through Author House, but where else can we get oh, yeah. your book? Oh, yes. It's also available through Amazon.com and Barnes & Noble, and, um, you know, I think online, those major, major um, distributors. Well, Dorcas, we really appreciate talking to you about your project management skills book. Uh, thank you so much for being on iUniverse Radio. Thank you. I enjoyed the, the conversation. That was Dorcas M.T. Cox. She is the author of her book, Project Management Skills for Instructional Designers. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. He's a diehard American. He's right, and he has the last name to prove it. He's Jason Wright, the host of The Right Side of the Aisle on TogiNet Radio. Jason is a father and self-made entrepreneur who turned a struggling East Texas real estate firm into a top-notch million-dollar company. Jason Wright loves America and is very concerned about where we are headed as a nation. He's dedicated to traditional American values. Jason Wright. Join us every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern for The Right Side of the Aisle on TogiNet.com. Maybe if I write a book, it will be the thing that keeps me alive. Those are the troubled words of a new 16-year-old author with her first thought-provoking book, What Gives? Published by Togi Entertainment. The author kept a diary during her dark teenage times, which turned into a 360-page suicide note with a happy ending. Texas Monthly describes teen author Chelsea Marie and her new book, What Gives? in this provocative way. We've plunged from page to page, not because of the young diarist's despondency. Depression is not especially attractive or compelling but because we are fascinated to see that while she is fending off demons on one hand, she is writing verse with the other. What Gives is available at whatgivesbook.com and national bookstores. Readers of What Gives are giving rave reviews. All social scientists, teachers, and students should use this book as a learning tool. What Gives is available at whatgivesbook.com and national bookstores. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Scraps, Fictional Fragments, and the author is David Luck. And David joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, David. Hi, how are you today, Steve? Well, this is a collection of short stories, of stories that come from 
your experience of living near a, a, a lake right there in Denver, and then some other, I guess, some other uh, stories from your travels? That's correct. Of course, uh, Steve, part of why I named the book Scraps is because uh, it's just a variety of stories gleaned from uh, many places and many people. Although, as you mentioned, uh, the first five stories uh, are centered around a lake here in Denver called Sloan's Lake. And uh, I came to write those stories. Uh, I'd been living in the mountains, kind of an isolated area, and I was used to taking hikes by myself and and uh, just not inter, uh, just not interacting with people particularly. And I moved to Denver itself and a few blocks away from this lake. And suddenly here I was just uh, overwhelmed by people of all varieties and ethnic uh, mix and uh, all the vibrant colors uh, of the city. And uh, that just uh, brought my mind into overdrive. And uh, I started imagining what many of these people I met might be doing in their life. And uh, out of that came these stories, these lake stories, the first five. And you say readers will enjoy the story's characters as they wrestle, these characters wrestle with familiar themes of love, lust, and yearning. Well, I always laugh a little bit about, uh, about that when someone asks me, well, what, what do you really write about? Well, I think most all of us writers write about the themes of life, lust, love, and yearning. And uh, with outcomes that uh, these stories have outcomes that sometimes are not always what uh, you think they should be. And I think that's the surprise in many of the stories. Um, you use, uh, is it Garrison Keeler? Garrison Keeler quote. Yeah, the correct. quote, uh, writers are vacuum cleaners who suck up other people's lives and weave them into stories like a sparrow builds a nest from scraps. That's true. and That's what, what we all do. And, and I know that in my own experience, that's what I do. Uh, sometimes not even realizing that I do it, uh, you know, meeting people and seeing people. I just collect these little tidbits, and uh, eventually those are woven into some story that I might uh, be writing. So as you uh, very specifically say, Scraps is not a quilting book. <laughs> but, you know, there are, there are these stories are like a tapestry of stimulating fiction. Now, what is the stimulating fiction? Uh, what kind of a theme do you have? Well, there's not a theme that goes uh, you know, through the entire book in that sense, Steve, but the stories are, are just a, a lot of life stories. Uh, they involve people, real-life people, and what real-life people are, are dealing with, um, how, they, how they challenge each other, each other indirectly sometimes, sometimes very directly. And, of course, the, uh, always the hidden theme of, uh, well, you know, is this going to be hurtful? Is this going to be loving? Uh, and, of course, sometimes the ending uh, will surprise even ourselves in our real life, and, and the endings will surprise us in these stories, too. And you touch on our memories, and you touch on our vulnerabilities. Well, that's really, really right. Some of these stories... Uh, came out of the past. Um, I, I'm a native of Wyoming, and so I gleaned a lot of scraps from there, too. And uh, some of these stories delve back into my childhood, and uh, 
And I've had readers that have read the book, Scraps, uh, tell me, boy, this, I really relate to this. I can remember doing this when I was a, when I was a child. Or I can really relate to walking around the lake, uh, as you do in your stories. Because I used to do that, and I used to see people that were just exactly like you portrayed them in this book. And they really have enjoyed reading this book, Scraps. So you've really tried to make it realistic because you say my characters experience and struggle with these different desires, and like us, sometimes they're successful and sometimes they're not. That's true, and that's, uh, Steve, I've tried to write, I try to write realistically. These people are just like uh, you and just like me and just like the people we meet every day in our own families and uh, our own struggles and our own beliefs. And uh, sometimes uh, we get misled, too, by outsiders. And uh, then these stories in our lives, or our lives as portrayed in these stories, um, sometimes have surprising endings. Uh, We may dream about things all uh, all our life. And uh, sometimes we realize those dreams, and sometimes we don't. And then sometimes we realize those dreams in a way in which we would have no idea it was going to happen. And I like to surprise readers that way. And you talk about the challenge of writing believable characters. That is really a challenge. It really is a challenge to write believable characters because you pick a character or you don't really necessarily pick a character, but a character comes to mind. And and I really try to put myself in that character's place and what would I do in this situation. Or how would I react to uh, this other person? Uh, And I try to make it as realistic as I can because uh, I'm sure you've read books too, Steve, that the characters just don't seem real. You know, they couldn't do that. Or, you know, they couldn't think like that. And uh, I try to avoid that. I try to make them just everyday, common, ordinary people, uh, just like you and me. And you call that realistic creativity. I call that realistic (laughs) creativity, right. And I think a lot of that, you have to be a real observer of life. And I I really think I am a a real observer of life, of people and and of life. It's it's kind of like standing on a street corner and watching the people walk by, but it goes deeper than that. Uh, People have coats on and clothes on, and and they look a certain way. But uh, how do they really look, uh, you know, in their own mind? How do they really look? And uh, how are they really presenting themselves in the world? And uh, kind of like looking at these people that way, really analyzing them and how we think they might really be. And, and then being able to write that is the challenge. And how these characters might respond in a, in a different situation that you put them in. <laughs> that's, that's always a surprise to me, too. And I, <laughs> I enjoy that part. You enjoy that part. You know, all of a sudden, your characters come to life, and they start talking, right? That's right. And you go, wow, I didn't know they knew that. That's right. <laughs> Where'd they get that idea from? Absolutely. You make this statement. You said some of the short stories in Scraps are, re- are a reminder of simpler times, our history, something we all yearn for. Now, talk about that. Help us understand what you're saying there. A few of the stories in Scraps uh, come from simpler times. Uh, they uh, they delve back uh, to a time when we didn't have all the electronic media that we have now. Um, 
there's two stories in particular. Come Spring is one, and the, the other one is called The Box Social. And these are, uh, these are events that occurred back in, oh, say, in the uh, 40s and 50s. Uh, and these were social interactions where people actually got together and did things uh, socially without the use of electronic devices. And I, I kind of think that's interesting. Well, I, I, I think it's very interesting because we are so attuned to doing everything uh, through electronic media now. Uh, and in fact, you'll see some of the cartoons in, in the everyday paper where uh, people... Uh, start to chat over the back fence, and they say, well, you know, you can see my comments on Facebook. And uh, these stories, like uh, I mentioned, go back to a time when people interacted face-to-face. And uh, the box social is a uh, where uh, sandwiches were made by uh, the women and, and the young, young women, and uh, then they were auctioned off, and they were always auctioned off for a good cause, uh, but as a young uh, person, as you'll see in the story, you'll find out why he's, he started to perspire because he got his father to do the bidding for him. And these were social interaction things that we just don't see anymore. And I think some people yearn for that. They yearn for simpler times, and they will enjoy these stories. Now, the characters that are involved with lake stories are are these people that you knew or these uh, situations uh, experiences that real people went through or is this just what you've created these are all fiction just what i created uh, they're created uh, or they are based on people that i saw uh, observed around the lake on my walks and uh, I just made up these stories about them. They, I never met any of those people in, in the lake stories. They're just truly fictional stories that I uh, invented, but based on real people that I saw around the lake and behaviors that I saw around the lake. Without giving away the, uh, the, the climax of this short story, tell us about the character Angelica. Just you know, give us some little insight into Angelica and what she's going through, her mental process. Here's Angelica, a young woman, uh, Hispanic in, in uh, origin, of course, and she's, uh, she was, as a young girl, she was attracted to a, a fellow at the lake and uh, not even a romance particularly blossomed, although she, uh, as a young girl, felt giddy in love with this guy and, and ultimately became pregnant and things didn't work out and because of age difference and many other things. And so here's a mother with a child and she's trying to get back into school to get, gain education so that she can become something and support herself. Well, the father enters back into the picture and uh, slowly but surely she wants him to get to know his and her son but here she's torn uh, because she has a goal now. Boy, she's got a goal. She's going to make something of herself. She doesn't want to be caught back in this trap uh, with this man. But uh, this is all then pictured because she's waiting for him. He, they've come to a point where she allows him to take the, their son that they share uh, for an evening, and he's not 
return the sun, and this is uh, the setting is in a in the winter time, and she's sitting in her car, and it's cold, and and that increases her anxiety. And where can her uh, uh, the father's her son's father be? He's late bringing back the sun, and all this anxiety is carried through in the icy cold of this car. That is Angelica. Now, why do you take us to England? Well, England, uh, I just look for variety. Uh, I took you to England because I witnessed uh, an episode similar to what happened in Balby in this story, and I thought it would be interesting. And uh, it could happen anywhere, but this one did happen in England. And then you have, I guess, a comment about death and taxes. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the things that we all can count on, right? Well, uh, you know, there's always that saying, uh, uh, you know, about death and taxes. And uh, here's Loomis in uh, Death and Taxes, and and Loomis has uh, lived a a long life, but uh, uh, unbeknownst to him, Taxes are coming due, and, uh, well, you'll have to read the story to find out who who wins, death or taxes. So (laughs) it's an interesting story. You have another title, Never Be Afraid Again. Never Be Afraid Again uh, is a story that I wrote pertaining to uh, concealed weapon carry and uh, how concealed weapon carry can make us feel very safe. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Yes, it may be just uh, an illusion, huh? <laughs> but, well, you'll have to read the story. That's right. Easy. That's right. When you, when, you, when you can feel that weapon against you, I guess, you know, it's a different feeling than when you don't have it on. <laughs> yes, I'm sure that's true. And who's Petey? Petey is a parrot. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I'm this glad is, I asked. I this, is, this is my fictional choice for <laughs> uh, for comedy uh, humor, <laughs> okay. and um, Petey is a parrot that uh, comes in to see this veterinarian via his owner, and Petey looks dead as a doornail in the cage. But uh, anyway, this young veterinarian can has uh, optimistic that he can save anyone's life, but. Uh, Anyway, uh, you'll get some laughs out of that story. <laughs> right. He's a, a parrot full of surprises. Tell us about your website. My website uh, is easy to access. It's www.davidluck.net. So it's just my name and .net. And you can find out more information about me and, uh, and also information about my uh, other books that are available also. And we can get your book through iUniverse, as well as, I'm sure, all the online retailers. That is correct. Uh, Amazon.com, Barnes & Nobles, any bookstore can, uh, can arrange to uh, get the book for you. Well, David, we want to thank you for being on iUniverse Radio. Well, thank you very much uh, for talking with me, Steve, and uh, enjoy Scraps. That was David Luck, the author of his book, Scraps. Fictional Fragments. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.